Hey everybody, I just want to take a moment to talk about a new thing I'm doing. Over the years, many of you have reached out to me telling me how much you love the podcast, but also wish there were more personalized takeaways and more in-depth interactions with our guests to hear what they think about comedy. This is why I'm now launching my new digital academy, Blueprint for Success. With exclusive interviews and comedy philosophies of stars and industry veterans, personalized versions of the Industry Standard podcast, commercial-free, and one-on-one coaching time with me. Blueprint for Success will give you the powerful tools that will take you up the elevator beyond the competition and reach the highest possible levels to achieve your dreams. Whether it be stand-up, sketch, improv, acting, writing, producing, directing, hosting, radio podcasting, social media influencing, or even if you want a career behind the scenes as a manager or an agent. Now I'm here to help, personally. We'll go on an express train of comedy and entertainment like nobody else has before. You can find out more about Blueprint for Success and the comedy business on my website at barrycats.com. Together, we'll take your career where you want it to go. We were asked to to hang out there, and so we sat down, and one of the White House staffers who was in charge of the room came in and started yelling at Zach because he was sitting in a chair that was Lincoln's chair. It was like an antique. (laughs) And he's like, you can't sit there. And we were like, well, first of all, you never said we couldn't sit here. And secondly, you didn't give us any other chairs. Like, (laughs) Give give someone some chairs if you don't want us to sit in Lincoln's chair. (laughs) Welcome back to another episode of Industry Standard with me, Barry Katz. It is a very exciting time. After I read this bio, which you are not going to believe, this guy has more credits than IMDB, the website itself. It's unbelievable. He's done so many different things, and he's so inspirational. And I'm just going to get started, and hopefully, after I finish reading this, he will be awake. This is a guy I've been trying to get on this podcast since 1977, ladies and gentlemen, and he's finally here. Emmy winner Scott Ackerman is a multi-talented writer, actor, comedian, television personality, director, producer, and podcast host who is quickly rising to the top with the world of comedy. Ackerman is best known as the creator, host, writer, and producer of the parody talk show Unbelievable Comedy Bang Bang. Ackerman was born in Savannah, Georgia and grew up in Orange County, California, attending Cypress High School and the Orange County High School of the Arts, studying acting and musical theater. He hosted a public access television show called Centurion Highlights, based on the school's mascot. He started the short-lived band The Naked Postman with Adrian Young, who went on to be the drummer for No Doubt. While attending Orange Coast College in Costa Mesa, He and fellow student B.J. Porter began writing together when they were both scripting and performing in a radio show called Lutz Radio. After a brief period studying at the Pacific Conservatory of the Performing Arts and touring the country as a musical theater actor, in 1995, at the request of their friends, Ackerman and Porter started performing at the Comedy Store in Los Angeles under the moniker The Fun Bunch, a name meant to parody improvisation groups. 
At the time, Mr. Show co-creator Bob Odenkirk was in the audience for the second performance and soon tapped the duo to write and occasionally perform on the HBO cult classic in its fourth season, for which he garnered an Emmy nomination. Aukerman appeared sporadically on the show, most notably as the model Theo Brixton in the Taint magazine sketch. To come full circle, Aukerman recently wrote and starred in Bob Odenkirk and Dave Cross's new show called With Bob and David. Netflix picked up four half-hour episodes, which can now be seen through their streaming service. Later that year, Aukerman joined a writer's lab writing film scripts for Imagine Entertainment. They worked on a variety of film and television scripts, most notably Run, Ronnie, Run, which he co-wrote with David Cross and Bob Odenkirk. Relationships, everybody. The Mr. Show movie from New Line Cinema and the first draft of the Tenacious D movie. In 2004, he and Porter received credit on DreamWorks Animation's animated feature Shark Tale, which was nominated for an Academy Award for Best Animated Feature. They went on to write an unproduced script for the sequel as well as an unproduced Shrek spin-off film for the character Puss in Boots. In 2007, Ackerman released a self-described joke record, Scott Ackerman's Cuckoo Roo's Greatest Hits, which featured Ackerman and Sarah Silverman program writer John Schroeder. Recently, Ackerman has added comic book writer to his ever-growing resume. He has written comics such as Deadpool and Secret Wars Journal number 3 for Marvel. In 2009, Aukerman took on the role as host Andy Samberg's head writer for the 2009 MTV Movie Awards. He also wrote a feature script for his close friend Zach Galifianakis in 2010 for Fox. And that same year, co-founded the Earwolf Podcast Network as an umbrella to a number of podcasts, including the one he hosts, Comedy Bang Bang. Aukerman's weekly podcast averages two million downloads a month and features comedians and actors in an open conversation about odd topics. Rolling Stone labeled the podcast as, quote, one of the top ten best comedy podcasts. It was voted best podcast by AV Club and Entertainment Weekly, called it consistently hilarious and always unpredictable. This past year, Aukerman was one of the writers on the 67th Primetime Emmy Awards with Andy Sandberg. Aukerman's production company, CBB Productions, is currently developing multiple projects for a variety of networks, which will further expand Aukerman's unique brand of comedy. In January of this year, NBC Universal Service CISO will showcase two shows produced by CBB Productions. Quite an accomplishment, including the highly anticipated reality spoop Show Bajillion Dollar Properties and Take My Wife. For both of these shows, Aukerman is the executive producer. In addition to this, Aukerman is the co-creator, co-producer, co-writer, and a director of the Funnier Die web series Between Two Ferns with Zach Galifianakis. The Faux Talk Show has featured interviews with Brad Pitt, James Franco, Will Ferrell, Steve Carell, Natalie Portman, and a list that goes on and on and on. The popular web series receives worldwide attention, and each episode has been viewed millions and millions of times. Ackerman directed many of them, including Charlize Theron, Willis Ferrell, and just so many different things, including Oscar Buzz, which was one of my favorites, and the Happy Holiday Edition episodes. 
2014, an episode was released with President Barack Obama. That was one of my favorite episodes of all time. It was designed to bring attention to the Affordable Care Act. Galifianakis engaged in his regular insult comedy style of interviewing, which the president reciprocated throughout the interview. Within 24 hours, the video of this interview had amassed upwards of 14 million views. Aukerman directed and produced this episode, which won the 2014 Emmy Award for Outstanding Short Format Live Action Entertainment Program. The series again won the Emmy for their episode featuring Brad Pitt. This guy is a force of nature. Please welcome Scott Aukerman. Hi. It's <laughs> embarrassing to hear all that. I literally, hearing it all, it seems like a strange scattershot career. Like, how have I been able to focus on anything? <laughs> like, it seems like there, it's it's a little too all over the place. I should be a little more narrow-minded. Scattershot and you go together like the words Kmart quality. <laughs> oh, interesting. <laughs> That's not scattershot. That's amazing journey that you've had and that you've put together. And the thing about you that always blows me away when I think about you, and I, I've really not been in his world but so when you watch things from afar and you see things happening you realize that you don't get to work with Charlize Theron, James Franco, Will Ferrell, Steve Carell, Natalie Portman, Zach Galifianakis. No, you don't get to work with them if you do great work. You only get to work with them if you're a relative unknown, if you are doing holy shit, I can't fucking believe it, extraordinary work. Maybe. I mean, I, I I think I got my start, you know, as you said, with Bob and David for Mr. Show. And I think there was less competition back in the mid-90s. Uh, I think it was harder to find good writers, I think. I think I really lucked into the fact that I was doing, um, you know, the stand-up act and was around them all the time. And, you know, Bob uh, very much mentored me and uh, would come and and introduce my shows uh, you know he would see if like we needed a little boost he would get up and do stand-up before them or he would be in them so he's very gracious with his time but um i also think about it like on comedy bang bang the tv show uh recently when we needed some writers i think our head writer neil campbell went through 200 submissions and i don't think those guys knew 200 writers. I think they got like four submissions or something like that. So I think it was a little easier to break in at the time. That said, I think I continue to work with people because, you know, I try to deliver. You know, you try to make the final product as good as you can make it, whatever that process is. Try. <laughs> you know, I mean, for instance, you know, I'd never met Andy Samberg before doing the MTV Awards. Um, and... I just really wanted to work with him. I was I was a big fan, um, and I had never done one of the MTV awards before um, because they, you know, you know, they don't pay very well, and it's kind of a lot of work for just a credit, you know. But I really, really wanted to work with Andy. So, um, so it's just one of those things where you throw yourself into it wholeheartedly, and um, however you get to the finish line, you you got to make the person you're working with happy, and you know, when when you have that kind of a reputation of like, okay, well, if you work with this person, the end result will be really good, however it gets there. I think, you know, people tend to want to work with you some more. So that's why Andy brought, you know, me back for the Emmys this year. And then Chris Rock brought me on to the Academy Awards and stuff. It's because, you know, the end result is always really good. But Scott, 
you worked with a lot of people that Andy Sandberg hired. You mm-hmm. work with a lot of people that Bob and David hired. You work right. with a lot of people that Chris Rock hired. And a lot of those people aren't around anymore. Why did you break through and those people stayed behind? I think, you know, my first job, Mr. Show, I really threw myself into it. I loved the show. I I love comedy. So I wanted to be there all the time. Um, something that Judd Apatow, I think, was talking about when he first started working with Gary Shandling really resonated with me, which was he was talking about how he he always wanted to, to be the guy that over delivered and was never thought of, was always thought of like, Oh, we have to get that guy. So when I was working on Mr. Show, I just tried to write as much as I could and write as many sketches as I could and try to be there in the room and constantly making stuff better. And, you know, in a way show business is really just like when you're hired by someone, they, they want to use you as they, they want to use you, <laughs> you know, they're paying you. So you want to make yourself indispensable to people and you want them to go, oh, I can't do this without this person. And I've had that as, as a, a boss as well. I've had employees where I'm like, I don't think I can do this job without this person. And, and you want to become that person when you're in show business um, because otherwise there's a lot of people vying for your, your job and you know, if someone's kind of funny, but they're flaky and, and they show up every once in a while and give some funny stuff. Sure. There's a lot of people like that, you know, but you want to be the person who's indispensable, who they say, I just can't imagine going through this without, you know, this person on my team. I don't mean to put you on the spot, but tell me somebody who you work with on the television show, a new person that came in and you see qualities of them in yourself you know i i mentioned neil campbell before he's our head writer for the tv show and he was someone that i i i believe i first started seeing him in uh, a bar uh performing right out of college he moved out to california and he um was in a group called fireball deluxe with a few of his friends from iowa and um I saw him, and he, he was uh, in the group with Paul Rust, who has a television show, Love, on Netflix right now. And I saw I saw them in this group, and, um, you know, I really thought that there was that spark for whatever reason. It, it, it very much seemed to me the same as when Bob saw me back in the comedy store very early on. There was just something about um, Neil's sense of humor that I really responded to. And so I, you know, tried to do exactly what Bob would do for me, which is, you know, uh, help him out as much as I could, appear in his shows. Um, I got, you know, uh, his manager. I invited his manager to come see him because he wasn't represented anywhere. Um, And then when I started working on the television show, uh, he was the first person I called to work on it. But that said, it all goes out the window if the person doesn't show up and deliver on the television show because the stakes are so high. So as much as I love his sense of humor and love him as a good guy, uh, were he not to deliver, you know, that job could easily go to someone else. But he, he's a guy who over delivers and, and uh, doesn't over promise and is there first person there, last person to leave 
will work on the weekends if he has to. Um, and not only that, but his stuff is very, very good. Um, always uh, the best written stuff. And I can always tell when something is written by him too because the it's just me as a performer, I relax like, oh good, that's one less thing to take that I need to take care of. There's good material. Oh, good. You know, and, and doing the television show is so difficult that when you have someone in your corner like that who is so good and so exceptional, uh, it it's one less thing for you to worry about and... I I literally couldn't see myself doing that show without him. And I, I told him recently, you know, the show is as much his as it is mine, other than financially. So um, but <laughs> but I but I but that that is one thing, you know, when you find someone like that, you will sort of move heaven and earth to make sure that you can continue working with them. And I I, I remember I think he got a very good offer to do another show um during our third season maybe or fourth season and I basically told the network I can't do the show without him so we're going to pay him more than that other show would <laughs> and and we did you know and and uh he he's just someone who really you know I can't imagine the comedy bang bang television show without because his sense of humor is all over it and um he you know the five seasons we've done he's been there every day um you know just really really giving me everything that he has i want you to know i had the opportunity to hang out with magic johnson for a day and i took him aside and <laughs> i wasn't around them that much but i was around them all day and i finally was alone with them and i just said you know what is it about you what what's the one thing that you can attribute to all your success and he just leaned down right in my face and he said over deliver yep and that's everything that you just talked about i agree i mean you know sometimes the jobs are are easy um and you're working with the best people hopefully you know take between two ferns um you know zach galifianakis is a genius um but that said, um, you know, he doesn't want to just fly blind up there. And um, the same thing for when I'm doing my show, you know, you want to provide a lot of raw material for him to riff off of, you know, when when he's doing the show. So, you know, he doesn't want to think about it. So I just take care of it, you know, and I deliver him 20 pages of jokes, you know, not ones that I've written necessarily. I'll maybe write three of the pages, but I go out to the funniest writers I know and, and I deliver them a packet of 20 jokes and we sit there and we go through it and we talk about what the thing could be. And he doesn't want to edit the pieces. He doesn't want to, you know, craft it, you know, and that's where, you know, I try to work with the best team and deliver the best product to him and one that he doesn't have to worry about that much. And he can just watch the Between Two Ferns with Barack Obama and just go, it's great. Thank you. <laughs> you know, and he doesn't, you know, and that's what you try to do is you try to give the person you're working with something that just just puts them at ease and, and gives them one less thing to worry about in a career that is fraught with worry. Take us through how you and your staff get Barack Obama to do Between Two Ferns. I always say, you don't ask, you don't get. And I'm, 
a hypocrite because there's people that I haven't asked to do the podcast. I've asked you over and over again to do this, and I've never asked Kevin Hart or Howie Mandel. I come up here. I say, fuck it. I ask them. They say yes, and I'm like, I'm such an idiot. But it, but it, it preys on your mind for a long time of like, oh, because the, the nose do hurt. They really do. <laughs> they do hurt. They do hurt. Your nose never hurt because I knew you were going to do this because I'm, I'm not busting your balls. I have a smile on my face. I never felt bad about it. I never felt bummed out because I knew how busy you are and how crazy it is. And I know that why do you do a show like this? You don't have to do a show like this. Well, also, uh, I told you I wanted to do it. I just yes, couldn't at the time. That's right. <laughs> like the nose that really hurt are the, the non-response nose. That that's those are the ones that really really hurt. Those thing when people don't even answer. When people don't even answer, and you know that a you know a, a not answer is as good as a no. But um, when it's someone you know well and they don't answer, it it tends to sting a little bit. And I I have this technique that I do. If you pass on the show, you have to really say, I don't want to do it because what I say is, look, pick any day of the year at twelve thirty p.m. <laughs> And I'm there. I just was in a period over the last few months. First of all, I did 80 episodes of the television show in the last two years. And then I was doing the Emmys and the Oscars and producing the other shows, Bajillion and stuff. It was, it was, I literally was working every single day. So it was one of those things where I said, I, re I would like to do this. I just can't in this period of time. So I'm glad that, that it ended up happening. Um, as far as the Barack Obama thing, I think it was... Like you say, you, you don't get it if you don't ask. So we were putting it out there a lot, I think. Who do you ask? You know, Funny or Die, I think, has ties at the White House. I think they they know people at the White House. They've done a few videos for the White House over the years. So we we had channels that we knew we could get it to them. But that said, you know, we were constantly hearing about people like Oprah, for instance, who was going to do one. We heard Oprah was going to do one uh, about a year before her show shut down. And, you know, there's no bigger star on the planet. And we would sometimes get these calls where it would be an emergency call on a Friday saying, hey, and I'm just using Oprah as an example because it's one that I can recall. But, um, hey, Oprah wants to do this on Sunday. And... um are you guys available? And it's one of those things where Zach and I would go, all right, well, we have plans, but let's cancel our plans and let's go do Oprah, you know? And you start to get the process going and you start, you know, writing material and you start contacting writers and finding material and you start conceptualizing and you cancel all of your plans and Funny or Die starts making production um, plans, you know, of how to get up to Montecito where she lives and where we're going to film. And then by Saturday, it's done. And she's not doing it anymore. And usually what we would hear is, at th for the request, is Oprah really wants to do this. And then when it turns into a no, we hear, well, Oprah was never approached about this. And when she was finally approached, she said no. <laughs> so, you know, they hook you with, so it's, it's usually someone's idea that it'll be a good thing. But the celebrity has not been consulted on that, right? So... We were, we're pretty used to that, and and so we've we put it out to Barack Obama for a, a long period of time, saying, "Hey, we'd love for Barack Obama to do this." I think he was interested in the two thousand and 
2012 election. And obviously when you're approaching a guest of that magnitude who you know may not have seen the show, Mm -hmm. you have to send them at least one example in your cover letter, a link of a show, sometimes three. Which ones did you send him? I to don't look know. At? I uh, all I know is the White House was aware of the show. That's they knew it was, it was a big deal. They knew that it got you know tens of millions of of views. So they knew it was a big deal. They knew, but but we still had no conception of whether the president you know had seen the show, had ever heard of it. We had no idea, and and we you know, but we were used to being sort of strung along. So when it came up in two thousand and fourteen or so. Um, we got a call from Mike Ferret, Funny or Die, who said, if this is ever going to happen, it's going to happen, and it's going to happen this week. It's my second guest on the podcast. Oh, Mike Ferret was? Oh, good. Good guy. Um, you know, we we sort of took it like the Oprah thing, where we go, oh, sure, it's going to happen. Yeah, we're going to do all this work, and then it's going to you know be snatched from us at the last minute. And so we went into it very wary, and I remember meeting Zach at um, his place, and we were both like, this is such a waste of time. <laughs> it's such a waste of time to to spend an afternoon talking about ideas for this because it will never happen. Um, but we did the ideas. We worked up a treatment um, that the White House wanted to see of what we wanted to do with the video, which we usually don't do for people. Um, you know, if uh, Brad Pitt wants to be on it, Brad Pitt, we just schedule it and then we do it. We never clear anything with them. But for the White House, they needed to know what was going to be happening on the show i would imagine also the white house has editing power over the piece i'll tell you an interesting fact about that after i finish this part but um yeah so so uh the whole time we wrote it knowing that the white house is going to say no once someone if not the president, but one of his advisors actually read the document and went, he's not going to do this. This is <laughs> like this. Is, no way. Or watched one of the older videos or something, you know, and said, there's no way the president will do this. So we went into it just going, you know what? We're, we're going to make it as funny as possible. And if the president says no, the president says no, but we're, we're not going to soften this or make it more palatable, you know, or do a fake between two ferns video that's like not as funny as the other ones because why, you know, why become some shill for for the government, you know, like we want it to be funny. Now, this is the odd thing about your scripts that are very unique and different and I think I should share with your audience. Normally, you send a script to somebody for their approval. You have dialogue for not only the host or the character, but you have dialogue for the person who you're giving the script to. So they're sending a script and a treatment that has is one-sided. It just has all of Zach's stuff. They might want to write stuff for the president, but he's not going to... Actually, it was an interesting process because they did want us to write jokes for the president. So we did include some, but the... The entire time I was very protective of it saying, I don't want to show them too much material because they'll say no. I really wanted it to, you know, I wanted to take it as far as we could. And I said, if we put all of our cards on the table and tell them what we really want to do with this video, they're going to say no. And at a certain point, the White House um, people that we were talking to, I remember I was talking to one speechwriter who's a big fan. Um, I had some phone conversations with them. At one point, it became very clear to us that we had to lay all of our cards on the table. They were like, look, this is not going to happen if, unless you tell us everything <laughs> and unless you just lay it out there. And 
and everything needs to be cleared, unfortunately. And so I remember the day we went, all right, well, let's just tell them what we want to do on this video and give them some jokes that Zach's actually going to do. And, uh, and they got back to us and said, okay, yeah, this looks good. (laughs) (laughs) And I was blown away and I, I, I really expected it to be taken away from us. But even so, when we went to the white house, um, we still thought that the president was never going to show up. We thought there was going to be some sort of crisis that he didn't, you know, had to take care of and wouldn't come by. So the whole time we were in the next room sort of fidgeting. And Where do you set up your production in the White House? We were in uh, a certain room that they do a lot of interviews in, that they're used to doing interviews with MSNBC and stuff. And then we were kind of hanging out in the map room, which is where they planned... World War One, for instance, and there's all these maps up on the wall with like the sort of yarn and push pins, <laughs> you know. Um, and interestingly enough, we were we were asked to to hang out there, and so we sat down. And one of the White House staffers who was in charge of the room came in and started yelling at Zach because he was sitting in a chair that was Lincoln's chair. It was like an antique, <laughs> and he's like, "You can't sit there." And we were like, well, first of all, you never said we couldn't sit here. And secondly, you didn't give us any other chairs. Like, <laughs> give give someone some chairs if you don't want us to sit in Lincoln's chair. <laughs> and so, so he was like, okay, I'll get you some chairs. And then, um, then we casually went back to talking about stuff. And then the guy came back in, and Zach had absentmindedly sat back down in Lincoln's <laughs> chair. And he's like, get out of that. So the whole time we were expecting it not to happen. And so once it did, um, it was one of those things where we said, okay, let's just go for broke and try to make this as good as, as we want it to be. Hey everybody. I hope you're enjoying this episode as much as I am. If you made it this far and you haven't fallen asleep yet, then you must be the type of person who's serious about having a career in the comedy business. That's why I'm offering you my blueprint for success a one-of-a-kind all-access pass into my knowledge and experience after over 40 years of working with the best of the best in this crazy entertainment industry. I'll tell you all the stories, all the philosophies, give you all the great special guests, and even give you one-on-one private consultations to help you expand, enhance, and skyrocket your comedy career. Just go to barrycats.com and click on Blueprint for Success to learn more about my groundbreaking digital academy that I've created just for you. With it, we can take your career so far that one day, instead of listening to this podcast, you'll be interviewed on it. So take Um, us through what you and Zach are feeling. You're waiting. They say he's going to come, but you're waiting in that studio. You're hanging out and... Is it the one time in your life, because you've met so many celebrities, and the one time in Zach's life where you guys actually have anxiety and that butterflies in your stomach? Yeah, I I don't think that I had it as bad as Zach, and I actually don't think I've had it as bad as when I have to be a performer with the person. I think if I had to do Zach's job, I would have been going crazy. I've been pretty nervous a couple of times on the TV show and the podcast um, with someone I've really uh, respected or, and admired or I've been in a situation that feels a little bit out of my control um, where I don't know the person or their publicist is 
kind of telling me what I can or can't do. You know, when you're in that kind of situation, it, it, it can feel a little dicey to you of like, I don't want to step on toes. So I've, I've been more nervous, honestly. I was more in a zone of like, we got to get this done. And I was like kind of figuring out logistics of, you know, I'm told we have... 50 minutes. I believe I had 50 minutes to do the video, which is not a lot of time. Usually we do them in two hours or something. I actually am surprised they gave you that much time. I was a little surprised by that too, but um, the one of the interesting things about it was we did this stunt at the end of the video where the curtain fell down and you see we're actually in the White House because we assumed everyone would think we were not at the White House and then that reveal was really funny to us. Um, but that took 10 minutes to, it took us five minutes to set up and, and five minutes to, to do the end of the video. So I let everyone know, okay, when I only have 10 minutes left out of the 50 minutes, let me know because we have to stop everything and do this stunt. Now you don't mind if I ask from a technical standpoint, mm -hmm. why wasn't the breakaway curtain already set up behind him so that at the end somebody could just pull something and fall? Why do you have to do it again? It was a little more complicated than that. It was, it was, um, there there was a certain way that it had to be done someone had to climb up a, a big ladder it you know it's not to get too technical about it but it was a complicated stunt that we Got had it. to stop down and do um so i had 10 minutes so i i said okay we'll do 40 minutes of of this and then someone will let me know at 10 minutes you know when when i have to stop and so the other the other very strange part of it was that i was told the president is a one and done guy and he only wanted to do one take um, before he got in there. And um, I'm, you know, usually when we do these, they're a little more improvisational and they can take a long time to do. And so I was, I was kind of saying, okay, well, yeah, we can definitely do one take. Um, I said, what if we have to do another one? And his advisor said, why would you have to do another one? And I said, well, you know, if, if, you know, we have to go again because, you know, something didn't happen in the first take. And the guy goes, what wouldn't happen in the first take? <laughs> I said, I don't know. Like, uh, you know, if, if he could do something better. And he's like, why would he have to do something better? <laughs> I was like, uh, if he gets a fact wrong. <laughs> like, I was trying to speak in their language of like. <laughs> and he went, okay, tell you what. If you think you need another take, you it, it was like a Byzantine uh, you know, system where I had to nod at him and he had to nod at the president and all this kind of stuff. And I was just like, oh my gosh, I wish we could just do another take. So um, the president comes in and we can't believe it. He's actually there. He meets everyone. Uh, he and Zach chit chat for a while about stuff while we're, you know, exactly setting up. And um, we get into the first take and we get about five minutes in and someone taps me on the shoulder and says, you have 10 minutes left <laughs> in the middle of, we haven't even gotten through it. And I, I, my mind started racing. And also the other interesting part about it was the first take was not very good. Um, especially, uh, I think especially Zach's performance, he was a little nervous and um, the president was pretty good, but it, it just wasn't gelling. It wasn't really clicking. And so I've been told he won't do a second take. I've been told we're out of time. And so my mind starts racing. And I think in that situation, I think producer and director just kind of took over. And I started evaluating in my mind and like editing in my mind, you know, um, 
because I'm very involved in the editing, I started like editing the stuff we'd shot in my mind going, okay, how do we make a video out of all of this? And I started like putting all the pieces together while the take is still going on. And so, uh, the take ends and, um, I've been told the president won't like talk to me, you know, like he'll probably end and he'll just, you know, go, okay, thank you very much. And walk out of the room. The president turns right to me and says, well, how'd we do? And, and I have this gentleman with the white house over here telling me not to ask for another take. I know like glaring at me and I just like tuned everything out and I said, Mr. President, I think it got really good halfway through. And to be honest, I wish we could do another take with the, of the first part with that sort of energy, but I'm told you're out of time. And he said, let's do it again. (laughs) And so we did another take and it was like brilliant. And that's, you know, most of what we used in the actual video. And I, I was just like sitting there going, I can't believe I said that. <laughs> I don't know what took over my brain to like. And when you turned around to the advisor, what was his look at you? I think, I, I think once the president says something's cool, everyone's like, okay, it's cool. It's cool. <laughs> you know, but I just, I don't know what it was, uh, you know. I think I think that's where nerves have to go away and you just have to concentrate on doing a good job and that's honestly where to me the project comes first and whatever it takes to get the project is what's important and um if you have to you know talk to the president when you're not supposed to to get the project done you have to do it you know but to to follow up on the editing um we we thought that that the white house would know that they had um more control over the editing than they did because normally when we do one of these with some star we'll have to promise like they can take a look at at the video before it goes out there sometimes funnier died and to be honest without our knowledge we'll tell a star that they have final cut over it which really bugs me because they never tell us that the star has final cut and then you'll get into a situation where you know Justin Bieber or whomever is like dictating what's in the video, you know, and so that always bugs me. And so, but we can, we we were saying, you know, the White House is they're gonna exercise final cut over this and kind of tell us what to do. And as we were leaving, um, the sort of after celebration we had with some of the White House staffers, um, one of them came up to me and said, "Hey, that was really funny today, but you know, obviously we're gonna have to cut." you know, a lot of it out and just sort of focus on the Affordable Care Act stuff. And alarm bells went off in my head of like, well, that's not going to be funny. <laughs> like, you're asking me to cut funny stuff? Uh, okay. And I started going, oh, man, this is going to be a problem because um, the White House is going to insist on this. I think the audience is going to find this fascinating. You're walking out of the White House with your camera bag and your digital card and your videotapes you're walking out of the inner sanctum with everything, and even if they wanted editing rights, they don't have any of the stuff. Yeah, we have all of the footage and stuff. I, so, what are they going to do? Repossess your income tax uh, return? Yeah, it was. Well, I don't. That's the thing. I I expected them to know they had absolute power, and and when we turned in the video, and it was another very similar situation of when I turned in the the treatment of what we wanted to do, I expected them to say all right, guys, enough screwing around. Like, this was fun when we shot it, but let's 
we can't put this out. Let's cut this. Let's cut this line. Let's cut this line. I mean, there's some like hard jokes in that video that I never expected to get through. And the White House watched it before it came out and said, hey, this is great. Thank you. Do you think he watched it before it went out? I don't know that he watched it. And in fact, this was this was something interesting that we were talking about. We kept trying to handicap whether the president knew what Between Two Ferns was. And we, very much similar to an Oprah situation, were told, oh, yes, he knows it. He's a big fan. And we took that with a big grain of salt because we'd heard that before and then like with Oprah when they actually get the ask they go no way <laughs> I hate that thing so we kept trying to handicap it and we were we were saying we were told he definitely did and we went oh okay and then when we got to the White House and we were having lunch in the um in the tiny lunchroom that not a lot of people get to eat in which was quite a treat um then uh, I believe Valerie Jarrett said oh we we have made the videos available to him or something like that, you know? So we were sort of like, oh, he doesn't know what this is. He walked into the room and he took a look at everyone and said, two ferns. <laughs> and we were like, this guy knows between two ferns. This is great. Now we found out later that the night before he was talking with his family about what he had to do the next day. And he said, oh, and I have something called two ferns I'm supposed to do. He, he had no idea what it was. And his daughter said, oh, my God, that's so great. You have to do this. It's so funny. And which kind of tipped him over the edge of like, oh, OK, I'll do it. But he thought the name of the show was two ferns. <laughs> so that's why he said two ferns. We thought he was shortening it to be cool. He literally thought it was just called two ferns. So we... We found out that he hadn't seen it before, but I bet he's seen them now. And, and I, I don't know whether he saw the video before it went out. I know the White House did, and they were happy with it. Um, but what's interesting about working with the White House is, is normally we just surprise everyone with these things, and we put it out online, and no one knows. Just one day, people wake up, and it's there. And the White House didn't think they could do that, I think. So they had to leak the info that it was coming out about eight hours before it did to like one newspaper and i started i was at south by southwest in austin texas and i started getting like email after email after email from people i knew going is this true did you do a between two ferns with the president and um normally we just like it to be a surprise but i think a lot of people didn't read that newspaper and they just woke up the next day i i was taking a plane back from south by southwest in the morning and it was about six in the morning. I got to the airport and I saw two comedians who were also there at the festival and they had their computers open and their headphones on and they saw me come in and they're like, we're watching it right now. <laughs> <laughs> like it was really one of the greatest, just big surprises. I think that we've, you know, put out, uh, it, it was so much fun to just see the world like react with the surprise that it did. And then to have it over that day and then the next day have it snowball. Um, originally the, the right, um, and the, the news media on the right, like Fox news, they, uh, were like, Oh yeah, he did a video. Huh? Okay. And they didn't make a big deal out of it. And then they saw how popular it was. And so they felt the need to demonize it. And they had Bill O'Reilly come out against it and all these people. And it made it more and more popular. And I saw such an uptick in the views once the right started saying it was bad and something that they shouldn't see. 
it got to be even more popular and and everyone was talking about it after that whereas i think it would have been like oh interesting he made a funny video and people would have said oh that's good but once it was something that people should not see and something the president should not have done it blew up it was incredible tell me how you and zach came up with the concept or how it came together and where the name came from and what was the second choice (laughs) it I don't think there was a second choice. It really was. um, I'll tell you what it was for. I was doing a pilot for Fox, a sketch show pilot that was supposed to be on Saturday nights, uh, I think before Saturday Night Live or maybe competing against it or something. So I was doing a pilot and um, we had a cast, a really talented cast and um, really great writers, but also we wanted to do short videos that that were with people who weren't in the cast who maybe didn't have time to be, you know, in a sketch show regularly. So, and Zach was someone that I knew I wanted to do something with. So, um, I put it out to Zach and said, Hey, do you want to do a video? And Michael Sarah was another person who wanted to do something. I said, Michael Sarah also wants to do something. Maybe you could do something together. And so he came by the office and we started talking about stuff and he's like, you know, he used to work in public access the same way that I did. And he said, oh, I've always wanted to do a public access show called Between Two Ferns because it always would make him laugh that that was the only set decoration that was available to a public access show where like two ferns that they happen to have in another office, they would put it in there to to jazz up the the look of the show, you know? And these public access shows, they only have like two backgrounds. They have a black psych or they have like a sparkly one, you know, for an entertainment show. So... It, he just said, yeah, could we do some sort of a public access show? And I'm the host. And so uh, Ruben Fleischer, who directed Zombieland, um, he was the director of it. And um, he figured out, okay, I think we'll do a three-camera thing. And um, we shot it in a basement of the studio that we were at um, in a tiny room. And it basically was like Zach and Mike improving and then we didn't have any prepared stuff for that one we didn't have any prepared jokes or anything like that but um me and the other writers were like in the next room shouting out stuff of like okay try this okay do this and we knew it was really funny they improved a lot and it took about an hour and a half and and then our editor daniel strange took it away and then kind of delivered it to us a few days later of like well this is what i think it could be and it was like brilliant his edit was was so good and we went oh wow this is yeah this is cool okay yeah i think i think people like this and then we showed it at the pilot taping and it did really well and then the pilot ended up not going anywhere and we were like "Ah, i'd really like to for people to see that between two ferns thing what should we do with it and then Funny or Die was this nascent website that had just started, um, but we knew a bunch of people from UCB who were working there, and we said, nah, I guess we could just put it up on that Funny or Die thing. And we put it up on Funny or Die, I think, in January, and you know, it had like a million views, I think, the first month or something. It, it, it got really popular, and it was one of the... It was very early in kind of viral videos the first one was michael Sarah. yeah it was very very early in 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 viral videos and it 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 did really really well and it got a few million hits um and we just thought that was it we said okay well i'm glad that we put that video out (laughs) and we moved on to other stuff and then um 
a few months down the line, Jimmy Kimmel reached out to Zach and said that he wanted Zach to do a Between Two for he was a big fan of that one. He wanted to do him another one do another one with him for the Jimmy Kimmel show. And we were like, Really? We we already did it. What do you mean? Do another one? Uh so you're saying that you had no thought process of this being a series. You thought it was one and done. One and done. We were like, that was funny. Let's move on. And, and that surprises me so much because you're such a visionary, but you never saw that this show, when I watched it for the first time, and I think millions of people watched it, they said to themselves, God, this is a talk show. It's interesting because I, you know, I come from Mr. Show, which on Mr. Show, there was a big rule that we weren't going to repeat ideas. And um, there, there were maybe two characters that we repeated over the few seasons. Um, and it always felt like, uh, is it like Ronnie Dobbs, for instance, that was one where it was like, is this a new take on it? And we, we decided, yeah, okay, it'll be a new take or three times one minus one. So I, I kind of came from that sort of background of just like, what's the new thing? What's the new idea? And so I wasn't really necessarily training myself to figure out how to completely exploit a piece of IP, <laughs> you know, the way that other people do. So, and you, I, I do that on Comedy Bang Bang too, of we never do an idea twice. And we, every single uh, episode of the show is a unique experience. Um, and so, so I think I just, just none of us ever thought that it would be something we would do again. Um, and then once we did it for the Jimmy Kimmel show, it wasn't a very good experience, not because of Jimmy Kimmel but or how the video necessarily turned out, but it was a quick turnaround. We had to shoot it and, and put it out in eight hours. There were probably 50 staff members watching, which was not the case the first one. We did it in a basement with no one watching, and it just felt so comfortable. But when there were 50 people watching us make the video it felt very weird to us um and it wasn't our best video i think it it's it's fine but it's not that great and we said um you know what i think let's never do this again <laughs> and so we decided not to do it again and then our friend john ham started blowing up in mad men and he was like i'd like to do one and we said well that would be fun i mean let's do it the way we did it before so we did it in a shed that funnier die had um, we cleared out all the lawn equipment and did it in a shed. And that one was fun. And we were like, I th I think we could maybe do more of these. And then Natalie Portman called and said she wanted to do one. And that one became incredibly popular. And we were like, oh, okay, we have a thing here. Like, let's keep doing it as long as it feels right to us. I know I spent a lot of time on this show, but I think it's just so special a project. And and I've always felt that way, and everybody I talk to feels that way. You. When you do a woman, it's like roast battle, you know, if you mm -hmm. see that with Jeffrey Ross mm -hmm. on Comedy Central. I remember I was riding the bus here in Montreal when I first got here, and Sarah Tiana was on the bus, and she's a roast battler, and she's batting this other guy. They said, oh, we're opening the show. And I said to the guy, I said, you're in trouble, pal. He said, why do you say that? I said, because you're opening the show against a woman. And no matter what you say during that roast battle, it's opening the show and there's a woman on stage and you're insulting the woman. And that is hard to do opening up. Right, it's, because it'll it, come across mean. That's right. And later right. on in the show, if you were the third, fourth session and people are getting going, they understand 
So your first woman, Natalie Portman, let's face it, the show is designed to be insulting. How yeah. did it go with your first woman? You said it took off, but you knew you were writing in a way you couldn't probably go at her as hard as you went at some of the other people. Yeah, it's interesting because I I do think that between two ferns, I would say 50% of the people like it because of their funny slams, you know? Like the 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 jokes that really seem to hit are the slams and sometimes when I'm directing them and talking to Zach, it's it's something we have to remind ourselves is that at its core, while we're always trying to do something new with them, at its core, it's like good, funny insults are the backbone of that show. But at the same time, I think the other half of it is, is Zach is an idiot and he plays like dumb a lot. And that's why I think he can get away with slamming people sometimes <clears throat> is because he plays the dumb, clueless interviewer that doesn't know that's not something to say. So it, it it's interesting with that project between two ferns, I definitely go into insult comedy a little more than definitely in comedy. Bang, bang. We'd never do anything with the guests that's like insulting. Um, and even on the Emmys, I know Andy didn't want to do really anything insulting. And we had one joke that was so good that was a slam that I wrote that he sort of broke his rule <laughs> to, to go ahead and do, which was, uh, this year we said a lot, uh, goodbye to a lot of television shows. We said goodbye to late night with David Letterman. We said goodbye to parks and recreation. We also said goodbye to true detective, even though that was still on the air. <laughs> and that was a real, like, ah, do we do it? It's such a good slam, but it's mean. I don't know. And we ended up like saying it's too good. Let's, let's just do it. But you know, on comedy bang, bang, I've like cut jokes that are too mean, you know, because it's a different type of project, but Back to your question, it is interesting. I think on that one in particular, Zach played dumb um, and the clueless guy a little more of like um, not not getting it. And I think that's a little more easy to take um, in that situation, you know, especially, you know, male or female. Some people don't like to see their stars taken down a peg, you know. So if he plays dumb and is the butt of the joke, I think it, it works sometimes a little better sometimes when someone is just as funny as zach like steve carell for instance um a comic titan was just as great at zach and so we had to come up with something new which was steve carell insulting zach you know and so it's a twist on it because like zach insulting steve carell everyone's gonna go but he's super funny what are you talking about <laughs> or will ferrell when will ferrell did it you know it just kind of went into bizarre land you know so it's it, it's kind of project by project you don't want to be too mean but then there are some people like a justin bieber that you go you know what let's take the gloves off and people want to see uh zach be mean to him and so we'll we'll go a little more into slam territory um but a lot of times it's just person by person hey everybody let me remind you one more time about my new blueprint for success it's a project I've spent months and months working on just to help you jumpstart your comedy career and beat the competition. Whether you want to do stand-up, sketch, improv, acting, writing, producing, directing, radio, social media influencing, or even if you want a career behind the scenes as a manager or agent, Blueprint for Success will give you all the tools you need to take your career to the highest levels. With exclusive interviews, my top 50 commercial-free episodes from Industry Standard, one-on-one -on -one coaching with me, 
and unprecedented access into my knowledge and experience from over 40 years in this crazy business. I guarantee you that with Blueprint for Success, you'll become the creator you've always dreamed of becoming. No one's asking me to do this. I want to do it because I want to help you become truly undeniable. So just go to barrycats.com, click on Blueprint for Success, and start your incredible journey today. I truly can't wait to work with you to help you change the trajectory of your comedy career forever. You know how in a roast sometimes the guest of honor, at the end you can tell they are hurt. Right. They Chevy are, Chase, most probably famous. That's of. right. Very, very sad. Even no matter how much they know about roasts and whatever it is, for some reason when you get up there and you sit there, some people occasionally mm -hmm. take offense to it and they're hurt. Has there ever been one person on the show that came on and you noticed that they were hurt? I... You know, it's interesting you say that because, like, I was just asked to be the the uh, person roasted for something, not a Comedy Central roast, but because uh, um, those are for famous people. But um, for for this other thing, you're doing very well. You are famous, <laughs> but I passed on it, and I said, I I have the internet. That's like the ultimate roast. <laughs> like, I get insulted every day. Um, I I think it would just you know I I don't necessarily need my peers doing it to me too you know so i was like as much as i appreciate it no thank you whereas jimmy pardo uh for his sort of bachelor party instead of having a bachelor party he had a roast of him and it was super fun and he took it really well and and um everyone was so funny but i think um it's an interesting thing because i think you know we don't tell the people with the exception of the president we don't tell people the jokes before we do them on between two ferns and so they are hearing them for the first time and they're reacting to them for the first time um and so I'll, i think zach is such a sweetheart he he feels worse than they do about doing these jokes and he i, I remember the natalie portman one the the biggest laugh in that um episode was something that i wrote about uh i think it was you shaved your head in v for vendetta did you also shave your v for vagina <laughs> and he didn't want to say it and he wouldn't say it and we we had a ticking clock with natalie portman where we had five minutes left i remember and i was like zach uh do you know number 12 like because he has a sheet of paper with the jokes i was like do number 12 and he's like uh and I have to become bad cop in this situation. And we sort of worked out a situation where he'll demure and say he doesn't want to do a joke. And I'll be the one saying, you have to do this joke, which makes me the bad guy. But, you know, because Zach is really just a nice guy and kind of doesn't like doing slams all that much, as much as he thinks they're good. So that's the situation we're in where, like, I become the bad guy. Um, but, you know, to her credit, like, this is what he did with Natalie Portman, I remember. He was like, okay, there's a really funny joke, but I think it's too rude. And she's like, I don't care, just show it to me. And he like showed the pic the uh the the joke to her on the paper and she laughed and said, Oh, okay, that's really funny. Okay, let me try to get serious about it. And then uh then Zach said it. He felt comfortable saying it. He said it. She acted shocked, <laughs> you know. Um 
so that's usually what happens. I think there's been, I would say the one that didn't go over so well with the star was probably the Sean Penn one. Um, because I think he expected a, uh, I don't know what he expected to be honest. And for that one, Zach played his twin brother, Seth instead and had shaved his beard and just had a mustache and was playing Seth, who's kind of a very effeminate football coach, um, from North Carolina. And I, I think he didn't expect that. And so we got some, some blowback on that. I know of like that, that Sean Penn wasn't happy about the video, (laughs) but, um, for the most part, everyone's been just, you know, happy and, and knows that, you know, I mean, look at the Brad Pitt one. I mean, we did some slams in that one that I never thought we were going to get through and he had a good time and it was great to work with. So most people have like a good sense of humor about it. Last question about this show. Comedy is subjective. People say there's nothing new in comedy. Formulas are old, but new concepts come about within those formulas. The first time I saw Between Two Ferns, I immediately thought of something. Mm -hmm. And it bothered me that I thought about it because I thought to myself, I see Zach in a way that I have so much respect for him. He's just such an amazing artist. And I don't know you personally, but I have enormous respect for you. And I know how original and unique and special everything is that you guys do. And I thought the first time I saw it, as much as I loved it, two words popped into my head that affected me a little bit. And I got over it because the show became something that's so special. And those two words were Jiminy Glick. Mm, interesting. I mean, I'm a big fan of Jiminy Glick, too. I think I think that's true. I mean, I don't think the show is uh, groundbreaking or unique. I, I totally agree with that. Um, and I think that um, the 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 details of it are unique. Um, Zach's performance and the certain way we film it, and a certain element of the style is. But I think that that kind of clueless interviewer is a trope that I think even Jiminy Glick isn't the first one of it. So I don't I don't think it's like a great unique thing. So when people say, oh, this is ripping off Between Two Ferns, I'm kind of like, well, come on. (laughs) Like, there's a long lineage of this type of thing. Um, The times I do think people are ripping off Between Two Ferns um, are when the details are exactly the same. There's someone on YouTube who does a show, and he introduces the show with the exact same language that Zach uses, the exact same delivery um, and that, that kind of bothers me. Um, I think Martin Short, I hope he would say that they are different because the performances are different. Like Zach is not doing Jiminy Glick. Like Jiminy Glick is like brilliant. And I just not recently, but maybe four years ago, saw him do it live in Vancouver and <laughs> it's, he's so amazing at it. And that is something that I think, like I'm saying that generality has been done a lot of times, you know, um, Alan Partridge, um, you know, uh, 
Fernwood Tonight, you know? I mean, that the, the fake talk show with an idiot hosting it is is something that's been done a lot. I think it's the specificity of it is where you where you can kind of claim ownership to it, you know? And so I think that, you know, uh, Comedy Bang Bang is not necessarily new, but the way that we do it is new. And I know that, like, Norman Lear actually, um, I was told, watched Comedy Bang Bang. And he was a guest on my show. Oh, cool, yeah. He watched Comedy Bang Bang and was a big fan. I'm a big fan too. When you're creating and putting together comedy bang bang, there's influences in the world of yeah. television and different things. But when I saw that and I heard it, I maybe I'm just not as much of a historian. I didn't think of any specific show that I thought was similar. Obviously, when I mentioned Jiminy Glick and Zach, the performances, and that's what separates, that's formula and comedy. Like I said, nothing they say is new, but you try to take a formula and make it special. Romantic comedy, they -hmm. always start the same, they always end the same. Are two people going to (laughs) kiss? I hope they do. (laughs) That's why you're not writing for romantic comedies. I've tried. (laughs) Thank God you failed. (laughs) But but Comedy Bang Bang, which I can't point to one show that somebody might say, you know what, that show, the formula for your show is the formula for the show and your characters with it are different. Am I I wrong? I think the formula, it's a, as they say in the business, the format is unique i think uh much like saturday night live has a format that that is unique to them i think our our structure of the show is unique but at this at the same time i think especially the first season i was basically doing letterman what what i you know my impression of like early letterman bits and um so weird and i feel so naive i never felt that I think it's, you know, I read something about Radiohead once, and I am certainly not comparing myself to Radiohead, <laughs> but OK Computer, they were doing an impression of some other band, they thought. And they were like, oh boy, we're sort of a shameless ripoff of that band. But because they were doing it, it only sounded like themselves, you know? And so I think that that's kind of what it is, is like I can see myself like, oh boy, I'm really Carl Reinering it up at this point, you know, 2,000 year old man style straight man. I'm really doing a, you know, a, a bold impression of him, but because it's me doing it in my brain, it comes out different, you know, but I, I can see the influences definitely. I mean, I think Pee Wee's Playhouse is a big one that people, you know, you always try to get close to to something and do it your way. I think a lot of the Pee Wee's Playhouse influences on the show, we were doing our take on those type of bits. We weren't doing those bits. The thing that we wanted to do was, in the first season of Comedy Bang Bang especially, we were doing our take, a different take on any show that had a host. And Pee Wee's Playhouse is one of those shows. And, and our director, Ben Berman, figured out a way, he had a really unique, cool way of making inanimate um, objects come to life. And we were like, okay, well, on Pee-wee's Playhouse, the inanimate objects came to life and were always cute. Ours are going to be, like, sick and depraved. And the first time we ever did it was this thing, Magic Window, who 
um we were supposed to look out it was a window that talked and it still made a mouth and you know he just talked about how depressed he was and how he wanted to kill himself <laughs> you know so we were in in our minds we were doing a take on the peewee's playhouse stuff and then naturally it kind of evolved into our own style but at the same time some people will just go well you're just you're too influenced by it's always a line that you're trying to walk you know um to for for me i I don't know everything about comedy, but I have been a big fan of it for 35 years. So I, you know, I know enough about it that I'm, I'm pretty conscious of something where I'll say, Hey, I can't do that. That's too close to such and such or where I'll see something and go, Oh no, that's, that's our own take. And I feel confident about that. Hey everybody. Thanks for listening to the podcast. I want to talk to you about an amazing documentary that I worked on a few years back called I Killed JFK, which was unlike anything I ever did in my life. It's centered on a man who'd been in prison for 30 years, who's the only person in history to have admitted to killing Kennedy, and his story is unbelievable. He started as a runner for the mob. He was hired to drive two hit men from that city around Dallas, and he ended up being the guy who calibrated their weapons. And he was there that day with one of his own and took the fatal shot that killed John F. Kennedy on the grassy knoll. His story, the footage, the interviews, never been seen before. You can't find them anywhere else except on this documentary. So go to barrycats.com to the merch page and buy the documentary with the rare interviews of the five greatest historical experts in the world. So just go to barrycats.com, the merch page, pick up the documentary and interviews, and I guarantee it will reverse the way you feel about what happened that day in 1963 and change your opinion of the government and how it works and alter the way you think about things forever. Lastly, I want to talk to you about something really impactful and involves something really close to my heart, self-education. You see, throughout my life, I realized that every success I've ever achieved in my career has come from the education I received from my experiences in the business. And I truly believe that we all have the knowledge inside of us that others would kill for. And by sharing that, we can open up an entirely new world of possibilities for ourselves. That's why I'm so excited to tell you that I partnered up with my friend Tony Robbins, who's been number one in this field for 40 years. Along with his team of experts, Dean Graziosi and Russell Brunson, they'll show you how to take that valuable knowledge in your mind and turn it into an incredibly profitable mastermind workshop or event, just like they have and continue to do in their careers. And they're launching a new training program that's literally changing people's lives by helping people like you be a part of this $129 billion a year business. So it's an incredible opportunity for someone like yourself to build your own business, share your knowledge, and help and serve people in a huge way with the guidance of Tony Robbins, the best in the business. He's actually going to teach people like you how to make big money and build a successful business. So if you're ready to take your life to the next level, they're doing a free live training session, barrykbb.com. That's B-A-R-R-Y-K-B-B.com. Look, I've done over 440 free podcast episodes of Industry Standard. And because of your incredible response, it's reinforced my belief 
that we're morally obligated to share and pass on our knowledge with the world and help other people in those ways. I truly believe this. And I really love this groundbreaking training program and how it can turn your knowledge into an extraordinary amount of money. So just go to barrykbb.com, that's B-A-R-R-Y-K-B-B.com, to this free training session with the best in the business, Tony Robbins. I guarantee you, it will change your life forever. As always, this has been Industry Standard with me, Barry Katz. And if you like the show, tell all your friends. And if you don't like the show, tell all your friends. You get all the money Drop that fancy car All the people love you Cause you're going far Life is for the dreamers They have all to gain It's never quite over Till it all feels the same You pick your own poison Dig your own grave Down in the valley A fortune Thank you for listening to Industry Standard with Barry Katz. If you'd like more info on our schedule of new episodes or how to reach Barry through Twitter, Facebook, or email, go to barrykatz.com. Before you leave, please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast, leave a comment, and rate it, even if you think it blows. Thank you for your support, and have a great day.